<laughs> Welcome to worship, everybody. That's good. Some of you are excited and some of you are not so excited. Let's all stand together and continue with our wonderful tradition of turning around and extending the peace of Christ to somebody this morning. Hey, if you're, if you're joining us for the first time, we would like you to know that we have a welcome uh, gift for you outside in the lobby. If you're watching uh, online, uh, we hope that you uh, engage, you sing along, you uh, stand up when we say let's all stand up together, you read the scriptures, and, and just uh, I pray that God will reach you wherever you are this morning and just touch your heart through the, through the whole service. So welcome to worship, and uh, whatever you do, Get to the cross. Whatever you do, worship this morning, connect with our God. Amen? In tenderness, He sought me. Weary and sick with sin. And on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. While angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang. Oh, the love that sought me. The blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. He died for me while I was sinning, needy and poor. But to assure me, I found thee, thou art mine. I never heard a sweeter voice, it made my aching heart rejoice. Oh, the love that sought me. to the fold of God. Oh, grace that brought me to the fold of God. Upon His grace shall daily ponder and sing anew His praise. With all adoring wonder, His blessings I retrace. I like this part right here. It seems as if eternal days are far too short to sing His praise. Oh, the love that sought. 
grace that brought me to the fold of you, my God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. The love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. Hey, we're going to do a responsive reading today that we're going to divide you guys into two groups. This is Congregation 1, okay? All right? And this is Congregation 2, all right? So our brother Goog is going to lead you, and then I'm going to lead you guys. By the way, welcome Aiden. Aiden is here with us. Yeah. I, I want hair like that when I grow up. It's, it's, it's so cool, man. It is so cool. All right, let's do our responsive reading. Congregation 1, get to lead out. Here we go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Uh, that's congregation two. It's okay. Congregation one, go ahead. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Okay, congregation two, teach me your way, O Lord. Okay, let's read together. I believe I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body there you go. and drenched him. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by heavy stone. Messiah still, and 
For endless days we will sing his praise. For endless days I will sing his praise. Make it personal this morning. Take a moment and say words of praise to our God. Praise the name, praise the name, we praise the name, this name that is above every other name. Lord, we bow before you this morning. Receive our worship, O oh God. Receive our, pra our praise. It does not come from a perfect heart this morning, O oh God, but receive it. It's broken, but receive it, our God. A special blessing, God, on our youth and our children as they go and as they learn. Be with them, O oh God, as they learn how to walk with you. Let their walk be real. Let it not just be something that was handed to them, but that it can be their own walk. This is our prayer today. Be with our teachers and volunteers. Cover them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Hillside. My name is Will Davidson. I'm a longtime member here. And just a few weeks ago, um, our denomination held its annual meeting for the first time in their history, virtually and online. And at Hillside, we had five delegates. And in addition to myself, Dan Seitz, Mary Palmer, Randy Fishback, and um, Christine Gilmore were our five. And so we had our full complement of delegates, which is wonderful. So today, I hope to give you a little report on the annual meeting. but Back by popular demand, I'm going to give you a couple covenant minutes. <laughs> As you know, uh, our denomination, one of our major emphasis is in church planting. And at our annual meeting, we had 16 new churches come into membership. And one of those was Midtown Covenant, that was originally a plant of Bayside Covenant up in the Sacramento area. And they, they exist in the Midtown, Midtown area. This is a church of nearly 4,000 that prior to COVID, they had six worship services on a given Sunday. And they have already, as one of their first steps, planted a church in Elk Grove. And at their very first preview service, they had 540. So we expect, given the trajectory of this church, it will be the largest multicultural, multi-ethnic church, not in the covenant, but in the state of California. One of the main emphasis of this church is on the homeless and those who have lost their jobs and just suffered through COVID. And so they have a large building now in which they can have people come in and they can feed them and they can give them shelter for a night. And they had portable showers to allow them to shower. Well, it turned out that the city of Sacramento heard about this. It made the news. And the city of Sacramento came to our church and said, would you mind if we bought you some more showers? So the city of Sacramento did that. A second thing I want to emphasize is in the last two years, despite COVID, we have planted 25 churches, which is pretty remarkable. <clears throat> One of those churches in Costa Mesa was just ready to do their first preview open service with Anthony Jang as their senior pastor. They were poised, they were ready, they had their core team, and hit COVID hit. 
And they decided, you know, we are going to move forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are going to move forward. And they decided to go online right away. And so I, we heard a story from the pastor recently that, and I'm changing the names to call them Emily and Jackie. That's not their real names. But Emily seemed to have a real open heart to the message that Pastor Jang was giving. And so she, on every Sunday, was listening online to these messages. And you could tell that the, the Holy Spirit was working in her heart. But her roommate, Jackie, was not a believer and said on this particular Sunday, well, Emily, let's go to lunch. And Emily said, sure, you know, let's go to lunch, but can you wait till after this is over? Because I really want to hear the pastor's message. So Jackie said, oh, sure, of course. Well, in a few minutes, pretty, pretty soon, Jackie was sitting next to Emily on the couch, watching the service, watching the message given by, given by the pastor. <clears throat> and Emily happened to turn to her right, and there were just tears flowing down Jackie's face, just flowing down her face. And Emily said, what's wrong, Jackie? What's, are you okay? What's wrong? She said, I realized for the first time in my life that somebody loves me, and that's Jesus. Because through her life, she had suffered through a lot of abuse. And on that day, she committed her life to Christ. So do church plants matter? They matter. And thirdly, we have 24 new church plants about ready to go in the next year. So we hope to, we usually plant one every two to three weeks, actually. But this is about one a month, which is pretty good under these circumstances. So church planning is a really important emphasis for us. On the financial level, as you can imagine, with our 875 churches across the country, many have really had difficult times through COVID. Giving is down, no surprise. So that reflects itself at the denominational level. And our denomination saw about a $1.7 million deficit out of about a $20 million budget. But we got a PPP loan for $1.776 million. So we ended the year actually on a pretty bright note. And I'm also pleased to say that, you know, we have a pension plan, a defined benefit plan, and a contribution plan for all our credentialed pastors. And it is 100% fully funded still. So that's a wonderful thing for all our pastors to know what lies ahead for them. And National Covenant Properties that I work with a lot, helping our local churches get into a new facility, if they're struggling to make a payment, if they're working on a lease, they now have just under 300 loans for $300 million because we know that when a church has a permanent place to worship, they do better. And uh, thirdly, um, about 10, 12 years ago, I was a part of a group in which we determined it was time to reorganize how the covenant was structured, first time in over 100 years. But now there's a new group taking kind of a fresh look at that because things are changing rapidly. And so they're looking to try to be more efficient, more effective, um, sustaining our financial position, being more, doing a better job of, of, of resourcing our local churches. And so the strategic alignment team put together a proposal that was pretty conceptual, I, I'm, I'm telling you here today. And so finally, we did not vote on that, but we're going to take another year to try to, they're going to take another year to try to work in a lot more detail and describe it in more detail. So I think we're moving in the right direction, but some of these things take time. And then last but not least, one of the great highlights of our annual meeting is on Saturday night in the ordination service. It is holy ground that these people walk on who are committing their lives to ministry as God has called them to that. There were 87 men and women who were ordained either to word and service or word and sacrament at our meeting. One of those is dearly beloved by this congregation. Is the picture up? Jonathan Wilner. 
the Holy Spirit is moving in powerful ways in our bigger family. Thank you, Will. Yeah, it's awesome to see uh, Jonathan up there. I'm Randy Fishback, also a longtime member of this church. Um, you know, Will reminded me with his uh, report about Midtown Covenant coming in, or Midtown Covenant becoming a covenant church. I just found out recently that my daughter and son-in-law and two grandkids started attending that church. And, uh, you know, I'm really kind of envious because it's a really kicking church up there. Not that this isn't, but it's, uh, but it's it, you know, it's got a really big thing going on throughout the city. And, but I reminded them, I got to vote as a delegate on bringing them into the covenant. So I'm, I'm putting them on notice. If they screw up, you know, I'm going to suggest we un unring that bell. Um, but anyway, hey, what's going on in the community life uh, here at, at Hillside? Um, several things. Today is the uh, deadline for the backpack drive. You guys are just bringing it. Uh, tons of donations, tons of backpacks. We'll report on the final numbers later, but this is the deadline to make a donation if you'd like to do that for the, uh, the monument area. And then um, also next week, uh, between services and then after this service, we're going to have a ministry fair. We're going to meet right out here. I'm going to suggest that those of you kind of just barely make it at 11, you're kind of just you know, squeezing in at the last minute, set your clocks for 10.30 arrival, come to the ministry fair, be a little more relaxed, don't be rushing, and then come to the service. However, we will have it after the service also if you are rushing in at the last minute. We're going to have tables out there with displays of our many ministries here at, at church, um, CJM, Compassion, Justice, and Missions Ministries, uh, Student and Youth Ministries, um, Care Ministries, um, Discipleship Ministries, all those things that we have going on. And you're going to be able to just browse, talk to staff, talk to some of our lay leaders who are leading some of those ministries, find out more about where you might plug in. And this also has a benefit with Project 404, as we're asking you to consider how you might might contribute to this body of Christ, this family that we have, you can have a discussion, kind of a, you know, a free, no obligation discussion with people and say, well, what would it mean if I got involved in prison ministry? What would it mean if I helped with the youth? How could I do that? So there are going to be all sorts of volunteer opportunities, both for leadership and for uh, just participating. So I hope you'll take a few minutes, you know, greet uh, the staff that, and the others that are out there and learn more about the ministries that we have available. So that's next week before this service and after. With that, let's, um, we'll take this morning's offering. You can leave um, uh, an offering behind. You can do it online. You can do it uh, at the website. Lots of uh, opportunities for that. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, give these gifts back to you knowing the um, eternal abundance that you've given us, the infinite abundance. Um, you've lavished every good gift on us. And we, we attempt to, to give a token of that back, Lord. We do it in obedience to you, but we do it, we want to do it cheerfully. Um, and we, we, you just, we just ask that you would make our hearts cheerful givers, that we might contribute to this, this body of Christ around the world and its impact in our community and globally, that we might participate in that in every way that we can. So take these gifts, Lord, and, uh, and bless them uh, for your good use. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's good to see you all this morning. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside. And while you're pulling out your message notes, which I hoped you grabbed when you came in, something from the headlines. A few weeks ago, a famous clothing retailer, one that you would definitely know about, made a huge announcement. They were firing their whole crew of famous models, and they were hiring new ones. Now, the ones that they were letting go were all pros. Uh, they were discovered at an early age from talent scouts and that sort of thing. And they were known for representing just impossible levels of physical radiance. By contrast, 
The new models were not pros, but rather they were accomplished people from other fields, like professional sports and journalism, and they were also more diverse a body shape. Well, this announcement, believe it or not, made national news. It was even covered in the New York Times because it represented such a titanic shift in the brand of this famous and rather controversial company. Well, Tyra Banks, who launched her own career in media as a model for this company, commented on this change on Instagram. And as Banks represented the old style of model, uh, it's possible that her thousands of followers expected some snark, some defensiveness in her reaction to her former employer's new look. But her response was actually very gracious and fairly interesting. Listen to what she wrote. Within a 10-year span, starting in 1995, I was the first black VS model to do many groundbreaking things with the brand. But after a first must come a flow of more, a flow of different, a flow of unique. I retired from the runway 16 years ago, and I'm proud that in my lifetime, I'm witnessing a beauty revolution. Interesting, huh? A beauty revolution. And that phrase got my attention. You see, there is a lot of talk in the culture right now about beauty. What it is, who has it, and whether it's important. In fact, recently, the nationally known New York Times columnist, David Brooks, wrote on beauty, but he did so from the other side of the runway. And in his piece, he decries lookism or discrimination against people on the basis of their physical attractiveness. He says it's a real thing. Listen to what he writes. Pretty shocking. He says, not all the time, but often the attractive get the first-class treatment. Research suggests that they're more likely to be offered job interviews, more likely to be hired when interviewed, and more likely to be promoted than less attractive individuals, they're more likely to receive loans and more likely to receive lower interest rates on those loans. He goes on. Attractive economists, okay, who do, but, but that's okay, are more likely to study at high-ranked graduate programs, and their papers are cited more often than papers from their less attractive peers. One study found that when unattractive criminals committed a moderate misdemeanor, their fines were about four times as large as those of attractive criminals. I guess we're going to have to update the saying, crime doesn't pay unless you look like Brad Pitt, right? But steady yourself. This was the most shocking one. I found it in my own research. Canadian psychologists have found that Parents take better care of their pretty children than the, yes, than they do their less attractive ones, even, even buckling them up in the car at higher rates. Yes, that is horrible. I can feel your pain. And as interesting as it was, I could not bear to share that news story with my brother even though it would have explained a lot about why our parents favored me.
okay? We're twins, by the way. Now, the fact that beauty is such a huge concern at this moment makes this moment not that much different from every moment. Human beings are captivated by beauty, and we always have been. Beauty was a major interest of both Plato and Aristotle. 2,500 years ago, they argued that beauty is objective, that it's defined by symmetry and order. Well, other philosophers kept talking about it. The Enlightenment era philosophers, David Hume and Immanuel Kant, they took the opposite view. They argued that beauty is subjective, not existing in the form of the object, but the mind of the observer. Well, unlike heady subjects like metaphysics, beauty is an interest that philosophers and ordinary people share. Think about this. Think about this. We are captivated by natural beauty. And we will drive hundreds of miles packed into a minivan with crabby kids enduring horrible food just for a few minutes to look at Mount Rainier or the Red Rocks of Capitol Reef National Park. We're captivated by artistic beauty and we will fork over serious cash just for a few minutes to look at a Marc Chagall dreamscape or a Georgia O'Keeffe landscape. And of course, we are absolutely captivated by human beauty. And as human beings, we can't look away from the beautiful. We follow those who have it, even when we know that their beauty is wholly exterior or a millimeter deep. And of course, we long to be beautiful ourselves, which is why the beauty industry is a hundred billion dollar industry. Beauty asserts itself even though it remains a puzzle. Now, why talk about this? Here's why. If you've been at Hillside for about the last month, you know that over the last month, we've been in a series called The Invisible City. And the series has been all about the non-physical, non-material realm of reality. The realm of reality that we can't touch or feel, but which everyone seems to acknowledge as real, a dimension of reality that the Bible affirms on every single page. Well, beauty is undeniably one of the neighborhoods, you could say, in that invisible city. And like the other neighborhoods of freedom and power, which we've already explored, and love and spirituality, which we're going to get to in the next coming weeks, Scripture illuminates it. It has something to say about it. Scripture explains what beauty is and how it is that we can live wisely in relationship to it. And as we'll see, living wisely with respect to beauty is critical. Because if we don't, we actually miss out on some big benefits. And I'll tell you what I mean in a few minutes. So two big questions for today. First of all, what is beauty in biblical terms? And then second of all, how can we live well and wisely with respect to it? Well, starting with the first question, what is beauty in distinctly biblical terms? I did a lot of reading last month, even spending time in Fort Bragg reading theology of beauty, and I studied uh, various different approaches, but the account of beauty that, that really got to me, and I found most compelling, 
was one offered by a young theologian, a guy named Junius Johnson, in a recent book. And to put it very simply, Johnson's assertion is that to experience beauty is to have a memory of God. Now, that might sound like greeting card fluff, okay? And not something to be taken seriously as a truth claim. But Johnson is a serious theologian. He's a biblical theologian, in addition to being a total brainiac. He's Yale-trained. And he arrives at his understanding of beauty on the basis of some big ideas from Scripture. And this is the main one. All human beings have an innate knowledge of God. That's where he starts. And he establishes this on a straight reading of Romans 1.20, a passage that you might know, but it goes this way. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And Johnson points out that Paul here is not saying that God's eternal power and his divine nature are plain, and so all human beings should recognize him. Rather, Paul's point is that God's power and nature are plain, and so all human beings do recognize him, even though they habitually suppress that awareness. And then Johnson goes on to bolster his case that all human beings, every single one of us, regardless of our stated faith commitment, have innate knowledge of God by citing Ecclesiastes 3.11, which is a mysterious verse, but the heart of it is this, God has planted eternity in the human heart. What Johnson says, as eternity is God, what else could it be? God has placed himself or a knowledge of himself in every human heart. And Johnson argues that a beautiful object, when we look upon it, it activates that knowledge. It reawakens that memory. In other words, beautiful things, whether they're places or products or people, evoke or awaken that deep knowledge of God and his glory that we all have by virtue of being created by him. And he argues that, that that beauty in particular should evoke that deep memory of God makes sense when you consider that Scripture says that God is beautiful. Scripture affirms God's beauty in all sorts of ways. It does so implicitly in describing God as wrapped in light or robed in light, as one contemporary translation puts uh, Psalm 104.2. And Scripture affirms God's beauty explicitly in Psalm 27, the passage that Daniel led us in this morning, which says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, when I was on the beach at Fort Bragg last week, and I read to this point in Johnson's argument, I was captivated, but I wasn't totally convinced. I thought, ah, the, yeah, the experience of beauty in its various forms, a memory 
of God. That's interesting. I wonder if, wonder if he's right about that. But then Johnson offers the clincher. Listen to what he says. Johnson argues that if the experience of beauty, if it really is the activation of a deep memory of God, you know what we have? We have the solution to a mystery. Mystery of human experience. And it's this, that slight sense of pain or ache that we get when we gaze upon beauty. Can anyone relate to that? I can. I bet you can too if you think about your own experience. Think about your own experience. Can you relate to looking at something beautiful? Again, a place. Maybe a place you visited. A product. A beautiful object that somebody made. Even a person and enjoying it, but at the same time feeling a slight sense of dissatisfaction or unfulfilled longing. And in his famous memoir, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis talks about this. He talks about this experience, that kind of strange ache that attends the contemplation of the beautiful, especially beautiful stories and beautiful places. For Lewis, it was gardens that would create that ache. And Johnson argues that the reason for the ache is this, that the thing that we're really longing for when we behold beauty is not really that thing. Rather, it's God. And the beautiful object before us, he says, it's just a stand-in. It's a bike reflector of God's beauty. And yet, because we don't yet have God in the same manner that we want to, the same manner that we desire and that we're promised in the future, we feel a twinge of pain, a slight sense of incompleteness. And you see, here's something that you could share with a spiritually curious friend in conversation. Purely naturalistic explanations of beauty, accounts of beauty that don't take into account uh, the invisible realm of God, they have a very difficult time accounting for that soul ache that sometimes often attends the experience of beauty, but Christian thought offers an explanation. Christian thought sheds light on this captivating but nevertheless shadowy neighborhood of the invisible city. And for me, and I've thought a lot about this, not just in preparation for the sermon, but over actually many years, the power of Christian thought to account for that otherwise puzzling experience, it adds to its credibility. It adds to its believability. In his uh, book about Curious Features of the Urban Landscape, the book that inspired the series title for our series. Roman Mars, who's the author, has this very interesting chapter on Thomasons. And you're wondering, what is a Thomason? Mars explains that the term was coined by a Japanese art critic who was walking to lunch one day in Tokyo. And he noticed something interesting. He noticed a staircase alongside a building that was leading nowhere. There was no door no window, uh, no nothing at the top of the stairs. And what made this scene even stranger for this observer was that apparent, this apparently useless stairway had recently been repainted. Somebody was maintaining a useless staircase. 
Well, he wrote about it in an article, and his readers began flooding his mailbox with pictures of similar city artifacts, these preserved things uh, that were nonetheless uh, useless from a practical standpoint. Well, this art critic named these useless but preserved features of the city Thomasons after Gary Thomason, who you might remember, was a major leaguer who played for the Giants in the 80s, who after signing a huge contract with a Japanese team promptly fell into a horrible slump from which he never emerged, but who inextricably was kept on the roster and paid for a long time, thus the name Thomason, for useless things that are strangely kept around. And uh, I'm keeping the name in mind in case the kids ever really do force us to get a dog. Uh, but anyway... Now, why this digression? It might seem that beauty is a Thomason, uh, a, a useless topic that's really not worth our time to consider as serious Christians who are exploring the invisible city. By contrast, to the contrary, I want to suggest to you that beauty may be the most important of the five neighborhoods that we're exploring, the most important. You see, like I mentioned earlier, by understanding the distinct biblical vision of beauty and getting it down into our operating systems, we get two huge benefits, benefits that actually make a difference in our daily lives. And I want to tell you what they are. Simply put, these benefits are permission and protection. Let me explain. First, when we come to understand that beauty is a real thing, and it's a good thing, it's something that's sourced in our beautiful God himself, that is something that points to him, you know what we get? We get permission to seek beauty. Beauty is not a trivial pursuit. It's a sacred one. In fact, according to John Mark Miraval, one of the theologians I've been reading recently about beauty, he says beauty is a moral obligation. Those are his words. You know, and as you know, the Christian life contains a lot of, and why shrink from it, from res uh, responsibilities. You know, as apprentices of King Jesus, we have the responsibility to love our neighbor, regardless of the political messaging of her lawn signs. And we have the responsibility as apprentices of Jesus to guard the truth, to be committed to it in all things and all ways. We have the responsibility as apprentices of Jesus to bless those who curse us. As Christians, we have the responsibility to help the hurting. As Christians who have been brought into permanent and loving union with Jesus himself in his death on the cross and resurrection, as Christians, we live by the Good Samaritan Code. And the Good Samaritan saw a hurting person, and he took practical action to help. And we do the same as Christians, not worrying too much about how the hurting got there. But as Christians whose most fundamental responsibility is to revere the one true God, we also have a duty to pursue and to produce beauty. And if you think about it, that is incredibly good news. I mean, that's 
an obligation that I am delighted to be under. It's like being told by your boss that you must take vacation. <laughs> and as Christians, we have a responsibility to seek and save our beauty because true beauty is a pointer to the true God, the Father of lights and the source of all beauty. What does that mean practically? What does that mean to the ground level? Here are some things. Don't apologize for seeking and savoring beauty in your own life. Don't be embarrassed about taking time to head out to Point Reyes for the day or the weekend and to savor the striking California coast. Don't consider it an indulgence to buy tickets for the De Young Museum and then drink in all the outstanding world-class paintings there. Don't feel shame or misgivings about decorating your house or planting flowers in your backyard or putting on a snappy outfit that makes you feel good or polishing the chrome on your Harley. Ginny Hayes, do you have a Harley? I doubt it. Don't apologize for taking time to watch a beautiful film, watching a beautiful baseball game. Baseball is a beautiful game. Or attending a beautiful opera like some of our hillsiders like to do. We need beauty to keep us alive. All people do, which is actually why part of doing justice is seeking or, or seeing that everyone, every person, has access to beauty. The beauty of parks, the beauty of green spaces, the beauty of museums. As one of the characters in the Dostoevsky novel, The Idiot, says, beauty will save the world. That's your first benefit. Absorbing what the Bible says about beauty is permission to seek it and enjoy it. And if you're an artist, to make it. And by the way, because beauty is important, we should never, ever have misgivings about beautifying our church, which we are about. A beautiful church campus, it points people to God. And we're going to be doing more of that in the future. You've probably seen the flowers. There's a second benefit, though. First one's permission. Second one is the one that, honestly, I'm even more eager for you to understand and to get it to sink down deep in your operating system. And here's what it is. It's protection. Understanding the Bible's message about beauty gives us permission. It also gives us protection. You see, beauty is not just a bomb. B-A-L-M. Beauty is also a bomb. B-O-M-B. And let me explain what I mean. While back, the uh, country trio band called Perry released a very interesting song called Postcards from Paris. And like a lot of country songs, this song told a story. But the story of this song went way beyond the normal country tropes of uh, beer and trucks and don't knock my hometown. Okay, And I want to say I do like country music. My criticisms of the genre are the wounds of a friend. Okay, But anyway, the song has the narrator recounting a time when she's out in some public place, maybe a fair or the mall or whatever, and through the summer haze, her eyes fall on a stranger. And listen to what happens next in the song. It's interesting. 
I remember when my heart caught the fever. You were standing all alone in the summer heat. I was with my boyfriend, my new boyfriend. He was as sweet as he could be. But one look at you, and I was through. My heart switched up on me. Like a postcard from Paris, when I've seen the real thing, it's like finding out your diamond is from an old promise ring. A callback from your fortune teller, she read your cards upside down. Get this, the meanest thing you ever did was come around. Isn't that interesting? You catch that? One look at you and I was through, my heart switched up on me. In more than just a breezy song, about love at first sight, this country song is actually an incisive analysis of the power of beauty to throw us off our horses. And Taylor Swift's song, Gorgeous, is similarly about the dark power of beauty. It's power to destabilize the mind and the heart and to foment angry dissatisfaction with our commitments, and even to inspire reckless action. But what's the point? I bet you can see it. If we don't download into our spiritual guidance systems the Bible's distinct teaching on beauty, that its source is in God rather than the object in which we're experiencing it, and that that beauty is actually a preview of our ultimate future, when we will be bathed in the glory of God, the beautiful God, if we don't do that, we can be vulnerable as humans to going in directions and making decisions that can be ruinous for us. If you use your imagination, I bet you could see why. But if we doubt that, in the interest of wisdom, not voyeuristic curiosity, we should reacquaint ourselves with a very interesting story of General David Petraeus from about a decade ago, and no shade on him. He's a human being, just like the rest of us. But his story is fascinating for what it reveals about the human heart and the danger for all of us in failing to understand the deeper meaning of beauty. Well, here's the good news. The Bible's distinct teaching on beauty, you know what it does? It protects us from that kind of collapse. And it secures us. It allows us in our own postcards from Paris moments, whatever kind of beauty is the cause of it, to remind ourselves that the beautiful thing before our eyes, that place, that product, that stranger, is not really what we want. Rather, what we want is the beauty behind the object, the beauty of the triune God, which is the source of it, which has momentarily irradiated that thing before our eyes, that person, that painting, that product in the catalog. You see, knowing that behind every beautiful thing is ultimate Beauty, you know what it does? It allows us to appreciate that beautiful thing without being totally thrown off balance by it and without being hijacked by it. And moreover, it allows us to keep moving forward joyfully to our destiny, which 
because we belong to Christ is the ultimate beauty of the triune God, which we will drink forever and ever and ever. Before we close, a quick exercise. Think for a moment on what we've learned today. Try to gather it in your mind. Think of what beauty is in distinctly Christian terms, a memory of our creator. Think for the moment about its importance and think of how we need experiences of beauty to keep us directed towards God, the source of all beauty. And then identify a practical way that you could legitimately take it this week, legitimately, in art, in nature, in music, allowing it as you do to slingshot you towards deeper prayer and praise and courageous, faithful living. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what we've learned this morning from your word about beauty. A mysterious topic, but one which you give us wisdom in. And thank you for our future secured for us by your gift of Jesus, which is the writer of Psalm 1715 says, is to behold your face and to be satisfied with your likeness, which is, of course, perfect beauty forever and ever. We pray in Christ's name, our beautiful Savior. Amen. I believe and I will follow you. I 
This week, may our good and beautiful God direct you, give you many beautiful experiences this week, ones that will propel you forward in your own race of faith and faithfulness. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.